Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you're in the right place. My guest this episode is the president and CEO of Giant Impact and a founding partner of the Giant Companies. For the past two decades, he has been growing and leading domestic and international companies that value people over processes and integrity above all else. He leads the global leadership event and training company at Giant. He's the author of several books, one of which I personally love, The Peace Index, which we talk a bit about here. He also works with the University of Oklahoma Athletics and University of Oklahoma Football. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Jeremy Kubicek. Jeremy, how are you doing today? Brother, I'm doing great, man. Good to see you. I'm, uh, I'm fired up for New Year. You? I'm fired up as well. Fired up to have you. Excited to uh, have you have you share a little bit about what you do and your work. And uh, thanks for taking some time to join us. Absolutely. Yeah. Pleasure. Well, yeah, I guess to, to first start off to introduce some of our listeners, you know, tell us a little bit about Giant and, and kind of what led you to your work and your life uh, along your journey to the work that you do. Yeah, so I've been I've been in the leadership space for a long time, and my view of leadership is probably different. So I'm I'm an entrepreneur. I've started over thirty companies since I was twenty one, and I've lived in Russia, London, Atlanta, live in Oklahoma. I've kind of gone, came back, gone, came back, kind of yeah. came back three times. And so, but I um, I just have this like view of like how things should be, and I, I like to help cynical know-it-alls um i like to help adults who have attention issues and maybe um don't read much i've i like to create things that help them become the leaders that they've always wanted to be but never knew how to be Mm. and that's what i do so i just i create content that um we scale we've got about nine eight hundred and seventy seven to be exact coaches and consultants and working in about 115 countries. And I basically create content that they use inside companies like Google, Starbucks, Pfizer, all those types of businesses. And then inside sports and college and universities as well. So it's kind of a unique um, role. In kind of your, your travels around the globe, um, what do you see maybe key there are key differences that stick stick out and how they lead in Europe and other places you've been than our tendencies in America? Well, you know, really it comes down to like the culture of the um of the country. So like I lived in London for a few years. So it's like the caste system mm-hmm. of like, oh yes, yeah, so J- Tyler, tell me uh, tell me about your family. So it's all predicated on your family and where your family is in the pecking order. Yeah. Then that defines your opportunities, which is what I love about America. It's yeah. like, and specifically, I moved back to Oklahoma because it's a very pioneering state. It's mm-hmm. like, well, who says you can't? Yeah. And in America, we're like, yeah, we can do it and we'll try it. If we fail, let's we'll try something else. Right. And that's not, there's not as much chances to fail in Europe. 
Gotcha. Uh, failure is like, uh, if you get blackballed as a failure, you're done the rest of your life. Long memory, no recovery. And then you get into Russia, you know, anything that was a former communist, we're seeing it right now. Like they, they have bad habits and bad governance and they have systemic corruption yeah. that is in this culture of domination that you basically the only way you get things done is through power just alpha dog brute force and that doesn't work yeah you know it, it works short term but long term that's not motivating people don't you know people are, are compliant yeah. in those countries they're not engaged right when think about countries on a macro big level and bring it down to just kind of the teams and workplaces that we engage uh you do a lot of your work i think with the teams and, and things together why is it important that we do take the opportunity as organizations and teams not just to grow as individuals which is important but to grow together and experience things together um i mean well let me let me break it down how i i view it um i view teams and you know, think about let's take organizations and then we'll get into sports teams sure but you view teams as units and um a unit um can either work together and do something good or they don't work and everyone has to work around them and so what we have is we have we have a systemic issue of poor team leadership inside organizations because everyone is so wanting to go fast but they don't do the fundamentals of unit building of core team unit building yeah. and therefore then they complain that it's not working like no you just you have a bad team leader yeah you have a bad they're just not or they're so under such pressure that they can't do the fundamentals so you skipped over and expecting people to perform at these high levels, but they're not doing the basics. Sure. The Basi basics always work. They do, man. Always. <laughs> right. I see in sports a lot, especially in the high school, college environment, where people get thrust into leader positions because of talent. Happens, you know, occasionally in, in the workplace as well, where they get promoted based on previous, you know, results. Uh, and then they're asked to lead and, and sometimes to no fault of their own, they, they lack some skills. What are the ones that usually people are seeking to acquire, uh, or hungry for when they first become leaders? Well, it, it it's the, the, the most needed skills uh, I would say are number one's communication. It's the ability to know your team, to lead your team. So it's understanding who they are and what's their wiring and personality, and then being able to um, speak their language, not your own language. So, um, you know, the, the idea is like, hey, do, uh, doing to others as you would want done gets misinterpreted sometimes. People go, well, look, man, I didn't get training. Why do you need training? Or uh, I don't need all that. Why do you? Well, yeah. they're different personality. They're different wiring. So you've got to know your people to lead them. Are they a thinker? Are they a feeler? Um, are they, how are they processing information? And you got to do more work up front in order to really establish communication. That's number one. Then, then you start getting into influence and, and trust. 
yeah. building true influence and building trust. You know, I'm for you, right? And I'm fighting for your highest possible good. And that becomes something that they do. Then you get into um, strategic alignment, how to get people on the right, working on the right project. Sure, the sure. right then you can get into execution. But most people, most bosses are like, hey, look, man, let's just get on the same page, right? Come on. Yeah. Now make it happen. Let's go. Yeah. Get on the same page. Make it happen. Yeah. Go. Yeah. And then when it doesn't happen, then they're like, losers, let's get rid of them. And it yeah. becomes a turnover factory. Yeah. And they just bring in another and another. And I think, it, tell me if you disagree, but it, it burns my ears whenever I hear coaches ask for buy-in. When they give me buy-in, I want buy-in. Or the problem was I didn't get buy-in. Uh, what they really want is a relationship and trust. Um, you know, they've mislabeled it maybe based on experiences, but when people are searching to build trust, what are some of the key things that they can do when they have maybe brand new people that they're expected to lead? So there's, uh, we have, we call it an influence model and it's, there's, there's kind of four C's. There's character and chemistry on one side. That's feeling there's competency and credibility on the other side. Mm. So depending on who you are. So if you're a thinker, then what you want is you go, Hey, does this guy know what he's doing? Is he competent? Right. And then is he credible? Is he consistent? And I can trust him and he's going to do the work. Hey, you know what? Competent, credible person. Awesome. Character though, this guy, I don't want to be around him. And then chemistry is all about himself, man. So I got a plus here with competency. I got a plus with credibility, but, but his character stinks. No one likes him. No one wants to be around him. Chemistry's off. Yeah. I got two pluses, two negatives. Eh, I can't. So what they, what they're really doing is they're like, well, we need all four to develop true trust. Sure. Transactionally. Yeah. Like, he knows what he's doing. He's, he's consistent. He, he's a good guy and everyone likes him. Let's go all day long. That's when trust gets uh, developed. So, you know, I, we teach players that. We teach coaches that. And the problem is, is that you have coaches sometimes with, if you're in, in sports, you have coaches that might be competent and might be credible, but no one trusts them. And then they don't like them. And so they're not getting a hundred percent of the player. Right. They're just enough to keep their position. Most definitely. Um, one of the things we like to, uh, do occasionally here is, uh, go back and, and look at a previous tweet. Uh, so looking back, uh, a tweet of yours, I, I pulled that I wanted you to expand on a little bit. You had, uh, put out there, if you learn to manage your emotions so that others don't have to manage your emotions, your influence will rise fast. Can you yeah. talk about how important that emotional regulation is as a leader? Well, there's this, there's this skill that used to be something called self-awareness and that used to be something that we all like revered and it's like social media has just casted it out. Right. It's like the, the most important thing. So like, wouldn't it be nice if I can manage my own emotions so that you don't have to manage my own emotions? That's the idea. And when that happens in today's world, self-aware people that used to be just the basics, now self-aware person, people are like, oh, wow, that guy's solid. 
just because he's managing his own emotions or she and like that that to me is like just important so it's noticeable now yeah like if i see someone who's like hey guys you know what i just want to say i screwed up last week my bad um you know i was i was going through some things and i was processing so anyway i just wanted you to know i'm like dude come on your influence rises with me yeah I think kind of touched on one of my favorite things to talk about too is is where vulnerability plays into that as a leader and just like you said you know you got to be vulnerable to yeah I was off you know whatever it might be can you talk about how vulnerability can help us build trust and create leadership I mean to be vulnerable with others there's you know if you think about it, sometimes people are too vulnerable you can you can be over and under everything right appropriately vulnerable means that you have to be vulnerable with yourself yeah start with yourself and you like you look in a mirror and like oh my gosh i got broccoli in here how long has this broccoli been in my feet <laughs> 22 years what <laughs> so you're like oh my gosh and so you're willing to get your own broccoli out of your own teeth yeah so the way that i um that we do a giant we use visual tools and one of the tools is called it's the infinity loop and it's basically know yourself lead yourself so it's tendencies do you know the tendencies that you have and the tendencies lead to patterns patterns have an action i'll just be vulnerable and i'll show you what i mean when you figure out and solve oh my goodness like i have I have a potential to exaggerate. I have a tendency to exaggerate. Yeah. And my pattern, when does it happen? Is why does it happen? Well, I'm trying to win an argument or impress someone. So what do I do? What's the action? I'll add three to a conversation. I'm like, all right, well, what are the consequences of that? Well, people will check it out or people are like, that doesn't feel really seriously. Then what's the reality? I create doubt in people. When I didn't need to. Sure. So to be vulnerable is for you to realize the broccoli in your teeth and talk about it with your team in a way where they then can start to look at their own broccoli in their own teeth. And they start creating their own tendency log. I have 29 tendencies. I can overshare. I can name drop. I can want honor. I have these, these are things I've figured out about myself. Yeah. So that's basically a self-awareness journey. Yeah. That means when I'm to that point, I have nothing to prove. I have nothing to lose and nothing to hide. I've overcome self-preservation at that point. At that point, what are you going to do with to me? You, you're like, all right, this guy is legit. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So Follow when me. I say something, it means something, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's what I'm striving to. I'm not saying I am perfect at that, but that's... That's an example. I love to, I think, you know, like I got 29 of these, right? I think, you know, uh, oftentimes, or especially in the athletic world where people are being evaluated and, and feel like they're constantly judged sometimes, uh, diving in to some of those inadequacies or, or blind spots per se, whatever you want to label them, uh, can be a challenge. And I, a lot of times when I've asked athletes who's the most critical of them, they raise their hand and tell me that they are that themselves. Yeah. They're the most critical. Um, but then when I, you know, it's time to do a one page assessment, 
that kind of back away from being the critical. Yeah. And I love diving into that with them. And, you know, why are you, when are you critical? It's usually when things are going bad and it's kind of off balance, but it's one thing I love about the peace index and just kind of going through it in one, the tangibility of the numbers, the simplicity and really being able to kind of use it as a tool. But mm-hmm. one, can you talk a little bit about why just sometimes slowing down and actually doing some assessment, some self-assessing that our world is resistant of uh, can open up so much for us, not only as people, but as leaders. Yeah. So we've been using the peace index for uh, ever. Steve Cochran and I kind of built this tool. And the, the idea of the peace index is that every single person has a number over their head and the number goes up and down every day. And so if you're listening to this, you have a number over your head right now. And that number could be a 62, 78, 88, 84, 91, whatever. And it shifts up and down. Well, the problem with most people are that we've allowed chaos to kind of come in and reign and cause us to be general whiners. And I'm I'm generalizing here, but I'm like, man, why can't they? Why don't they? Why won't they? Like just general whining. No, 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 no. Let's get into specifics. So we created a peace index to help people figure out specifically what is your level of peace? That's the number of your head right now. And so if you want to listen and play the game, it's real simple. There's five circles. There's um, purpose. How good do you feel? And have you taken it? Um, yeah. Well, so I, I'll, I'll be honest. I read the, read the book, mentally went through it, came home, told my wife that I want us to do it together. <laughs> Okay. You want to be activity. vulnerable and yeah. take it right now? Um, yeah, if we have time. I mean, yeah. yeah. You want a calculator? It'll, it'll be real fast. You got a calculator? You got yeah. A phone yeah. Or you can write it. I down. remember. Yeah, I remember. I made some notes. Uh, okay. I don't Here know we go. Did them all, but yeah. Here we go, Tyler. This is going to be your opportunity. We're going to find out what the number over your head is. Um, right. Okay. I, in fact, I've got a calculator. You can tell me, and I'll add it up. Right. So, um, one through a hundred. How good do you feel about your purpose? And purpose is um, what you're doing. How much does what, what you're doing align with who you are? Um, what number? 87. 87. You can do 87.4 if you want, but that's right. 87. <laughs> Next is people. The top 10 people that you spend the most time with. So how good do you feel? What's your level of peace with the people in your life right now? 75. 75. All right. Um, let's go into, um, place place are your spaces. It's your living room, house, backyard, your office, your, how good do you feel about your space location right now? Um, say 68, 68. See, we're getting somewhere. Now there's all questions that start popping up. Then you get into personal health. Personal health is, um, mental, physical, spiritual, a combination of all three. How good do you feel about 90? 90. Come on. There we go. And then the last one is provision, which is your earnings. It's like, it's not what you want to earn, but what you need. How much are your needs being met? How good do you feel about your provision right now? Say 80. 80. Okay. So 80. Then we divide all, we add them all up. We divide by five. You're at 80% right now. That's the number over your head. So then you go, all right, but there was something in that. What you look for is you look for the lowest so if I'm coaching you, I'm like going, all right, Tyler, what's up with the space and place? Yeah. Is it your neighbor? Is it your house needs some work? 
Is it your, you know, you haven't gotten your office set? What is it that's not yeah. like right? And then what you do is you make a list of controllables on one column and uncontrollables on another. Yeah. Like all what you can control, what are the things that you can do yeah. to change? And that's ultimately Definitely. an assessment. It's, and it's not just an assessment. It's like you can do something with it. Yeah. And you can have a conversation with someone and your number goes from an 80 to an 85 pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the the one thing I, I also loved about it is it's like you take a lot of assessments. Sometimes it just leaves you with a number feeling stuck and not, yeah. you know, and I think that, that next step, like you talk about the direction and yeah, my, I work from home and kids were at home a lot during break and, you know, family things come up when you're at home. And so that's the challenge in my environment. Right. And so, uh, but there are things I could do better to, to limit those distractions and times and create boundaries and and things like that. Um, So that's your date night conversation too. It's great for date nights. For sure. Because, Because it's objective. Now it's like, Hey, here's my piece index. We have common language. It's, um, we can, and then we can do stuff about it. Um, so it, it starts to make sense. Right. So, yeah, I think that was just the thought that reoccurred while reading it was yes, my wife, I was curious of, you know, where she felt in these areas, you know, as a husband, but also the other people in, in my 10 people, right? Like, where are they, you know, and am I, am I one of the people that helps them? And, you know, I think it was kind of just maybe some of that back end evaluation of how's my index impacting <laughs> other yes. people um, was just some of the other, I think, just reflecting that that happened. And that was, a, reading it. That was a tweet quote right there, too, of like, um, don't let someone else's lack of peace affect your level of peace. Right. And if someone else is really low and they can't draw, bring you down. Right. And so much of that happened over the last few years. but. Yeah, you know, we've we've done this. Peace index is really helpful. Student athletes love it. Um, um, the, another one that we use for student athlete, it goes deeper. It's called the student. Uh, it's the elite athlete index, and we created an elite athlete index that's um, a culmination of mind, body, and spirit. Mm. So what it is, it's mental, physical, and then just the soul, just sure. the life part. And what you do is you, the coach takes the assessment for the player and the player takes it for themselves. And then they talk about it together. And so what happens is um, a lot of times with coaches, they're like, Hey, Tyler, how you doing, man? How's it going? Good. And yeah, good. Yeah. Me good. All right. And then someone else comes to him from student services. They're like, Hey man, he's just not doing what? No, I just talked to him. Good. Yeah. Yeah, and you're like, no, you don't understand that this stress is leading to this stress, which is affecting this. So it's cause and effect, and you need to understand where it is. So it's not to give them a number that's like you're horrible. It's actually a system to give them something that they can talk about with the coach or address and like, yeah, I've got some stuff going on at home. It's just showing up everywhere. Yeah, and so I think one of the things I find myself with athletes is maybe sometimes when they do open up and and assess themselves is get them also to, I think the next thing sometimes they becomes overwhelming when they self-assess is that I have to get to perfect in every one of these, you know, I I got, I was a seven, a five, a six, and how do I, I gotta be a 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. And 
it becomes overwhelming to even think about how to do that. And I think the big thing is focus on five to six, six to seven, you know, this, those, those little jump ups and become consistent to that point. What, what is the kind of advice that you kind of give after they kind of have some index numbers to, to make some yeah. movement? We're actually playing with even moving away. I've, I've shown you some numbers, but we're playing with color coding and just going, Hey, just get in the green, mm-hmm. the light green, dark green here. Right now you're yellow with maybe orange. Yeah. We got to get you into the light green. And it's just like, a, it changes the psychology a little bit of it, but I, you're right. Um, just some personalities fixate on certain numbers because that's all they've done known is performance, right? And the yeah. performance number. Well, the problem with numbers is they're subjective. Right. Like, what do you think of that movie? Right. I gave it a seven. What? <laughs> I gave it a nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My seven is a nine. I've never given that. Right. Right. right? It's like the guy barstool guy judging pizza, right? He's got his scale. <laughs> That's great. Right. You know. Um when you do from your experience like especially kind of that student athlete, college athlete age with the five P's, where do you see that sometimes they struggle the most? Yeah. um, A lot of them, well, a lot of them don't really know their purpose. So here's really, they're young. They're young. Yeah. They're young, but their purpose has been to make it to D one, maybe make it to the NFL. Well, but the percentages to get to the NFL are so low. So a lot of guys will lose their purpose. I'm, I was with one athlete who's moved in the transfer portal from OU. He was he was the guy his entire life, all through high school. He's the guy. He gets to OU, the big program, and he's not the guy. In fact, he's not he's not even close to being the guy. And now he's a transfer, and now he's transferred to a really low Division two school. And you know, it's, it's hard. Yeah. And so it's hard on their purpose because their purpose was to get the NFL. That dream might be over. So you have to think purpose outside of athletics. Yeah. And think of it broader than that. Um, As I, was, um, I think my other kind of reflection was the student athlete transition. When you go through them, it's like, yeah, they're young. They're figuring out their purpose. They've just moved to a new place that that's a little chaotic. They've got a lot of new people in their life. Um, there's, I know athletes are trying to figure out their provisions. How do I get my meals, my schedule, you know, make sure that's set. And then personal health sometimes takes a backseat as they're making all these adjustments in life um, as student athletes and trying to maintain a new schedule. So it's something that uh, I think is just so valuable to go through because it's like, man, you become high school to college is your score can change fast. Um, totally. uh, and I think also it speaks to, you know, go, going through the recruiting process, thinking of those five P's, yeah. you know, totally. how, how, how is this going to look when I over here and over here? Um, we, we've been taking the, the five voices is something we created, which is personality. We took Myers-Briggs apart, made it simpler. Mm-hmm. and more easy to remember and it's based off of carl young and Ellsworth. so um if you know that you're a pioneer or you know if you're a nurturer or a guardian um it's so important for coaches to know who they are and then communicate with their players oh i've got a thinker coming in or i've got a feeler coming in and i'm a thinker 
coach, then it's almost like we, we used uh, plants. We got like, there's five different kinds of plants here. There's a cactus. A cactus doesn't mean much water. And coach, you're a cactus, but you got a ficus that you're bringing onto your team. They're going to shed leaves fast if yeah. they don't get sunlight and water in the right ways, right? Some attention. And they don't know how to, so it really worked with them. Well, we're doing that for recruiting too. So we're like going, okay, mom is a nurturer. Dad's a pioneer. The player is a creative. Yeah, those are different dynamics. And so it goes into like personality science inside recruiting. Definitely. Uh, it's really fascinating. Well, uh, last question as we we wrap up. Uh, one of the other things I'd love you, you get into, and I think it's important for we find the people we surround ourselves with. Uh, can you talk just a little bit about the importance of the high support and the high challenge and why those are the kind of optimum type of people we want to yeah. surround ourselves with? Yeah. So um, most people are really good at either one. Uh, high challenge is what most coaches are like, like, get your head out, Tyler. Let's go, man. Get on the, you know, and that traditional. And so fear is the motivator, but it, most people are like, yeah, that didn't work very long because all it leads is abdication. It's like communism. Yeah. Yeah. You can force people, but what they're doing is they're trying to just protect their life. So do just enough, but they're not going to be fully engaged because they don't feel like you're for them. Yeah. Uh, or the other end is support. Rah, rah, helicopter parents. Hi, Tyler. Hey, what do you need? And it's like over support. Yeah. But the best leaders in the world bring high support first because that's established like, hey, I'm for you. But then unbelievable challenge. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you. I'm not coddling you. It's not kumbaya. It's high support with high challenge. And I've been able to work with Brent Venables. I'm coaching him. And Coach Venables is an example of that. Unbelievably for you. But, oh, my goodness. Yeah. He will bring it. And the players love it because they're like, they know he's for them ultimately, but he also knows they're not, he's not going to keep them there. He's going to push them yeah. to the highest level. But it's this line, it's calibration. Definitely. And some days you need more support and some days you need more challenge. So as a leader, if you're listening, then you just want to master knowing what support looks like and knowing what challenge looks like, but it depends on their personality type of the other person. Because thinkers don't want too much kumbaya or support. Feelers need a lot more of it.